Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we got in store today? Yeah, Adam, today we are talking with John Elmore, who is our Director of Community and uh, Recovery here at Watermark. If you know Watermark, I mean, community literally is... It's our middle name. It's our middle name and a big deal here. We say, you know... Uh, our church is going to rise and fall on our community group. So in many respects, you could make the case that uh, maybe next to Todd or senior pastor or elders, the, the most important critical role on our staff is uh, the director of community, someone who's going to bed, no pressure, John, uh, going to bed, waking up in the morning, thinking about this stuff. And so after 20 years, I thought, boy, we probably could take some fresh eyes uh, at this thing, some new leadership. And, uh, and so John's been, uh, John's been in this role. And uh, we wanted to talk today about some of the things that, that John is uh, thinking about, some of the things he's learning. A lot of times we, we'll come in here, Adam, we'll talk about, you know, hey, the glossiness of this thing we've figured out and it's all sanitized and good and helpful. And today's a little bit different. It's uh, here's where we are in process yeah. and some of the things that we're learning and thinking. So John, before we jump into the, the content, why don't you tell him just about kind of your story? Uh, I think it's interesting how God, it feels like has been setting you up for this moment. Um, introduce yourself and then we'll jump into some of the content. Cool. So I don't, as we talk about like small group ministry, uh, the first small group I was a part of was a 12-step recovery program because I had been a drunk for 12 years. Um, functional alcoholic in the business world down in Austin and um, had run my life into the ground. And so that was the first small group that I actually was a part of, which is crazy. Um, but that is a part of my resume that God um, brought me through in order to bring me here, which is, um, I thank God for this place because there's not a whole lot of people or places that would, I think, take a chance on a recovering alcoholic and say, hey, we're going to entrust certain things to you. So that's that's what's there. Well, you, had, you had long periods of faithfulness and other leadership. It wasn't like we yes. just pulled you off the street. You know? <laughs> it had been 24 hours, and so we gave you a, a, a watermark email address. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't quite that. mouthwash yeah. and brush my teeth and... New day. Uh, so in coming on here, that's how I moved into the recovery ministry, which is called Regeneration here. So that's our Christ-centered, biblically-based 12-step program. And it's people to come together to walk through a year of recovery. It's discipleship uh, in a small group format. And so it's all structured similarly. And you've got every imaginable sin issue that you could think of. Uh, throughout, as they come together, they're shepherding one another, speaking truth to one another. I mean, it's beautiful. It's truly this incredible picture of the church. And I've loved it. And that's been a part of my role for seven years. Prior to that, um, in seminary, oversaw this small group ministry there. It was called Spiritual Formation. Um, and so it's just, I, w- without even realizing it, I think God has been writing that into my story. And so whenever leadership ha- said, hey, you know, would you consider looking at community? It was like, I, my heart like jumped, like I was, I was so excited about it. And I don't think even understood it until really we've been talking about it. like, oh yeah, he's, he has kind of put me in that space for a lot of years. So um, I'm thankful it's been transformative in my life. Uh, don't know where I would be. I'd be dead, frankly, without the care of others in that small group scenario setting. And so uh, I'm really grateful to be a part of it now and Love see it, it through. Love it. I remember, you know, so John's the kind of leader that 
whenever we have big problems, his name always uh, gets pushed forward as a well, he could solve oh, I that. You were, I was always going to say I'm one of the, <laughs> the culprits or the <laughs> the accused. Oh, no. Whenever we have big problems, he's high on our list. Just, you should the, probably ask the, John. The, yeah, he's, he's the drunk. He's at he's the epicenter of all of our problems. No, um, so you know, there's been different things. We go, well, we could use some leadership chops there, and John's name comes up, and and you, John's posture has always been, well, I, if that's what the church wants me to do, I'll do that. If you're asking me if that's the best use of my gifts or passions, no. And I remember when this one kind of came forward, you were, you know, metaphorically like pounding the table going, absolutely, I want that. You know, that that makes sense to me. So it was fun to just kind of uh, have a front row seat at that. So, uh, so John, you've been in here 90 days now. And one of the things we talk about around here. Got it here, all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Your book comes, when is your book coming out? Yeah, it's, already, it's already written. I've written three of them. You haven't read them? It's like your episodes. You've got a like, trilogy in 90 uh, days. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one a month. Uh, but one, one of the things we talk about around, around here a lot is that you know, someone's incredibly valuable the first, you know, 90 days specifically. Uh, they come in with fresh eyes and they're able to see uh, what, you know, others now uh, see as normative. They're able to to see with fresh eyes and go, maybe that's not the best or maybe that could be done differently or or even ask questions. Why do we do that? And, uh, and sometimes we've forgotten. Sometimes we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Sometimes we're doing things simply because we've we've always done them that way. And so, uh, so you've been in here 90 days, fresh eyes, trying to give leadership uh, uh, to this area, which really is our church, not it's not an area, it's not a ministry. It's is our church. So, uh, brother, why don't you just share some of the things that you're learning, uh, which was to say that we're learning as a church and um, thinking about uh, in this whole um, small group area. Awesome. Yeah. So, to set this up, as I talk with with the team and others, I'm like, you know, Watermark. Uh, the elders would say. You'll hear this a lot if you're around. It will say they have bet the farm on community. So this is like lifeblood of the church. If we if we don't get this right, like this is just, we're, you know, some church that people attend, catch a good sermon, and then they live out the rest of the other 6.9 days of the week uh, on their own offense. And it just doesn't go well. God never designed it for that. We're to encourage one another daily, not just on Sunday, but every single day. We're to receive this mutual encouragement and care from one another. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And you can't compartmentalize it. And so... In that, like, as I thought about community, I'm like, okay, we've got some, you know, some sizable ministries here that God is bringing a lot of people through the door that we have a lot of care for. But when you step back from community, because it's not event-based, it can tend to kind of fall off the radar because it's not happening on a certain evening. The parking lot is not full because of community per se. And so it kind of starts to drift to the background a little bit as far as priority and emphasis on a recurring basis. But when you when you think about it, there's 8,000 members in the community ministry, which makes it like two or three X our largest community, which is crazy. And an 8,000 person ministry. Makes it two to three times uh, as large as any of the, uh, like an event that yeah. we would run. Yeah, yeah, porch, regeneration, different right. things. Um, and so there's like, there's this magnitude of it, but because it doesn't have an event, it kind of gets lost in that. But I mean, an 8,000 person ministry, you better have a lot of eyes and attention with high values, not just a ra- aspirational, but actual. And it's got to be run from uh, senior leadership and elders all the way down to the lowest common denominator, that being the groups. And if, and if there's any break within that, like then, then the ministry itself is not going to be what it was intended to be and what God lays out in scripture. And so, uh, because our, our core membership, anyone who is a member is a part of a community group. And it says in Hebrews 13, 17, that those are the ones that we are accountable to God for not, I mean, like accountable for their souls, which is this heavy, 
and really incredible responsibility. And so because of that, we've established, we've got a thousand leaders that oversee those 8,000 people. And as you've said earlier, it's the heartbeat of our church, it's our middle name. And so we've got to do this exceedingly well. And if ever, you know, you're always either moving forward or backward. There's no neutral. You're never like parked and, and static. There's either atrophy or you're going forward. And so as a result of that, we sat down, talked with the elders, campus pastor, and proposed some things. And I can, I can walk through some of those, but I'm like super excited about it. And where we started is, as we talked to the team, it's like, hey, when, when Watermark began, it was eight families around Todd and some of the elders. And, you know, so that vision was caught inherently, like you couldn't not catch it. It was such an intimate, tight circle, eight families and that senior pastor. And so the vision for this biblical community that would live out the one another is like, that was a caught vision. Well, now fast forward 20 years, you've got 200 members joining the church every month, 200 every month um, with 25,000 attending. And so there's, there's a there's a difference there between a caught vision where it's a very intimate setting. And now we're teaching that vision as those 200 members come in having a monthly membership class. And we're, and we're now telling them what the vision and the values are. And that's just a, that's a whole different ball game. And so we're looking to make this uh, community experience a lot more practical and actual versus uh, aspirational. So I can unpack some of that. And so I think That's what helpful. you would you would tell us is that the very first thing that it sounds like you're learning then is that vision leaks. That, yes. that sometimes what was so easy to communicate vision early on when you were more intimate, smaller church, now as you have 200 members joining on a monthly basis, it's hard for them to really catch that vision. So you're teaching it, and and I think what you're seeing is vision leaks, which really happens regardless of the size of the ministry. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have sure. 25 people that show up at your church on a Sunday or 25,000, anywhere in between there. This is just a normal leadership thing that will any ministry will learn is that vision leaks, and you're seeing that that might have been, or it is uh, the community ministry is no exception to that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we did is we sat down and we said, "Hey, look, when when let's let's just run the analogy of a house. Like we got to when Watermark began, they built out a custom house. They were able to pick out, you know, the countertops, the fixtures, where they would put the rooms, how big they wanted the closet. It was custom created for the people that were going to live there. And it was this really usable, beautiful space and people thrived there. And then we added some kids and it still worked. It was like the life stage of a house. And after that, you move into the maintenance stage of a house. You're like, okay, the faucet's leaking. That door is jammed. We've got to replace some light bulbs. We're going to switch over to LED. Um, the backyard, we need to lay some more sod. Like it was just, it was, it was a maintenance mode. There wasn't anything inherently like um, off per se, but over 20 years as those kids grow and then they invite 25,000 of their closest friends, we've moved from custom build out from maintenance. Now we're in a stage of renovation. It's like, okay, for the size and the volume of people that are moving through the doors of this home, uh, this little local home body of Christ, uh, we're in a season now of renovation of how do we care for the volume of people in all of these groups as that vision is leaked to get it from aspirational values down to actual values. Um, and it's, it's uh, so that's, that's where a lot of this thought and intentionality has come from is that, that space of renovation. And as I say renovation, you know, Psalm 127.1 is what immediately comes to mind. Like, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So I am under no misunderstanding or uh, illusion that any ideas or hacks or tricks that I would come to the table with are going to somehow like propel us into this like 
you know, revival and thriving of community. This will only be by the spirit of God, hand of God, as people live out uh, what God has laid out in his word that, that he promises will bring life. And so this renovation, it's all just like the Lord building, but we're co we're co laborers along with him. So I was, you know, I was in those rooms, John, way, way, way back at the beginning of, you know, Watermark is this incredibly bold vision about what community and life together could look like, you know, and we were all, <clears throat> I mean, a completely, you know, amped up and, you know, just going after it as best, best we could. And, uh, those were really, really fun days. And, um, it's no different than any, anything, um, vision does leak and you've got to kind of keep re-upping. A lot of times I think leaders think about, um, you know, vision is kind of like a, a law that's passed by Congress, president signs it and that's it. Like we're good. Like we, we, we hash this thing out. And so if we don't hear uh, anything from us for the next 20 years, like everyone's going to assume that's, that's what it, uh, we're all doing. And I just don't think that's the case in the church. All right, John. So the first thing that you've been learning as we've been going through, or you've been spending this 90 days of community ministries, vision leaks, great reminder for all of us. Second one that you said you've been learning is that values can quickly become aspirational, not actual. And I, I know you've got a story of kind of your own community group and how you, you saw that personally. And then you started to see that also, uh, prevailing within the ministry as well. So why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, we did the uh, annual assessments. Every year we do an assessment for all our community groups. We took ours. Now in our group, we have four out of five staff members. Um, Only one guy is not on watermark staff, which, you know, you would think we are living and breathing those values. But as we took that assessment, realized like, man, we are, we are off here actually. Like we are not hitting the values of community. And so and thinking about that, like super humble, teachable leader of our group was like, well, what's your solution? And so we talked through various things tactically that we could do at the ground level to make sure that we were hitting those values. And so what we've realized is that, hey, if, if we're not doing that with four out of five staff members, odds are the rest of the church and the other thousand groups, not to say that they aren't like, hey, we've got it all figured out. And, you know, but it seemed like if we're not, Odds are maybe a lot of other folks aren't as well. And so really started to dream and think about what we could do to make those values not not aspirational, but bring them down and make them actual, practical, tactical. And so some of what we've talked about there is uh, we've got three questions that we ask every time we get together. We did it last night. We go around the horn, we ask three questions. How did you feed your soul this week? How did you feed your flesh this week? And how did you feed others this week? So feeding the soul, that's not just like box check. Yeah, I'm having my quiet time or whatever. It's like actually unpacking like, man, these things are stirring my affection from for God. I'm not, uh, so that, I mean, even a Pharisee could say like, yeah, time in the word. But uh, what is it you're doing to feed your soul for the Lord? Feeding the flesh is a, is a weekly confession of sin. And a lot of times it's happening over text even before we meet so that you can stop the bleeding initially. And so that that really puts us in a humble state where everyone's coming to the table. We're all going to confess sin. Nobody's going to say, Man, no, don't think I sinned this past week. It's like, awesome. Here's the self-righteousness and blindness. So <laughs> we'll pray for that too. Uh, so everyone, you know, nobody wants that hat. And so everyone's confessing sin. And what's unique about that too is that we're praying for each other immediately after this confession of sin, rather than like, you know, going into admonishing faithfully or, you know, exhortation. It's like, we're going off James five sixteen and saying, hey, let me pray for you so that God would bring healing. And then the third question, uh, how are you feeding others? Because what we found is that a lot of times when you got your wife and your kids and your ministry and all the different things that are swarming and swirling in life, it's like uh, we're starting to drift and forget that 
uh, man, there are, there are others that are far away from Christ that are not sitting in the circle. And so we were like, man, we need a weekly question. How are we feeding others with evangelism and discipleship? And so if someone's coming to the table, you know, three weeks in a row, I was like, man, I just really haven't, don't feel like I can answer that question. I haven't fed others. It's like, okay, well, hey, it's, it's not optional. So whether it's at your kid's soccer game or the next time you're out to eat or at the grocery store or with your children in your home. Um, and we've seen like or, or total. The ne- or the next time you get a sales call. <laughs> yes. The next time you get a scammer calling you from India. And so. Uh, which, when, John, which, go ahead. It did just happen. So right before we sat down to record this, he played uh, a great conversation that he had with one of those scammers. And, uh, Kafta. and it was awesome. Kafta. We'll Shared the gospel Kafta. with him. It was this is so amazing. Cool. It's amazing. Uh, so anyway, that that also has raised the value of evangelism and discipleship. Like one guy in, in our group that was coming to the table like three, four weeks in a row is like, you know, I, don't, I haven't really fed others this week. He is now leading our community group in discipleship within his own home, has this very intentional uh, plan of discipleship for his kids. And like he's leading the pack now. And it just was a shift toward an intentional mindset of asking those questions. The other thing we do, we come together, we're trying to live out Acts 2.42. Too. It's like, hey, if the early church did it and thrived and grew like crazy, we probably shouldn't get away from that. And so, as you see in Acts, which was this home church model, you know, they were meeting in homes. It's like, okay, when we come together, we're going to read scripture. We're going to discuss it. Whenever I host community group in my house, we'll we'll have worship. We'll sing. Um, I've got hymnals. I'm a terrible singer, but uh, we'll, we'll sing a song. We'll even have communion. And we're a kingdom of priests. And so, I see us. We'll like come together in that house church, like I think they were in the early church, we'll have communion. So we're living out some of those spiritual disciplines. And then the other thing that we found or believe is that most groups like Watermark is, uh, it has this really entrepreneurial spirit, a really high trust spirit and a high bar of excellence. And so the vision and the bar is cast really high. And then with those thousand groups, you've, you've likely got this uh, bell curve that, you know, 20% of the people are, are going to figure it out. They're going to lead really well. 60% of the people, their heart is there. They want to. And then the back half of the 20 are like, they're just like stuck. And so we've, we've also got another um, tool that's right now in creation that uh, I think would be appropriate to talk about this, which is the kind of the third thing of um, fragmentation is always a problem. So because of that entrepreneurial spirit, like we're like, Hey, this is the vision and we cut them loose. And it, what it, does it gives people a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy, a lot of high trust, but it also creates uh, this free range, do what you will, figure it out as you can deal, which um, just because of the bell curve doesn't always work out well. And so we want to give people tracks to run on. And I would say too, John, uh, worked really, really well for us initially. Uh, we were small enough that we were kind of, you know, uh, a church and one giant community group. And um, and so you could cut people loose because we had enough touch points with each other and with leadership and, you know, those kind of yep. things. We were, we were all, we really were on the same page, <laughs> but a lot more people are in the house now. Totally. And our, our structure to your point, uh, just doesn't work as well yep. uh, as it did. So yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, as one who's lived through that, um, I understand. I've got a I've got a very visual uh, picture of what it is that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, we're a lot we're a lot further from the the original DNA after all this reproduction of disciples and followers. And so, um, in order to get closer back to that and infuse that DNA, we're pushing it down into every community group. So a, a lot of times, uh, 
churches have a pull strategy like, hey, come up on Thursday to our training night. Come up on Tuesday for our equipping thing. And they're like, dude, I've got soccer and volleyball and dance and ballet and my own community group. And I don't have time to come back up there. And we're like, oh, man, we're going to switch to a push strategy where we're going to drop content right into your lap into every living room. And by that, we're going to have almost a sense of virtual leadership. And I'm not talking about AI, but we're going to give them tracks to run on right there as they're sitting in their group so that no matter where they fall on that bell curve of like eager go-getter leader, uh, heart is there, but don't really know how, or on the back end of that bell curve of like, man, I don't even know if I want to, I just do this because I have to. And so what we're going to give them is uh, is a community app that they'll have on their phone. They'll pull it up. They won't have to have any preparation. They'll, they'll come together, sit in the living room. We're trusting that someone in that community group will be like, hey, I'm supposed to be looking at the app. I heard about that on the Sumer Series. If you're sitting there and you're thinking like, man, we don't have the, the finances or the technology team to create an app. Like, I mean, that's, that's good for you. Sounds awesome. But how could I ever pull that off? Like what we're doing as well, we have the sermon application guide. There's a guy sitting in the audience, one of my dear friends on staff, who's like really gifted as far as writing and structure. He listens to the sermon. He captures in sermon notes, like really distilled uh succinct points. And then he creates a discussion series of questions and an application for all of those sermons. And what you could do, you could have somebody in your local context, do that, write up a one pager, and then you distribute it over email. I mean, it could be absolutely free. And you're taking that same technique of getting content into every group so that they're catching the vision of the church so that those sermons and all that God's doing as they receive that living active word of God doesn't just die in the parking lot when the kids start fighting about where you're going to to eat after church, but rather you could give them that one pager and those community groups could transform. And it's going to set the table there for that night so that they can be fed so that it doesn't just spiral out into, uh, you know, people talking about life apart from spirituality. So it's going to start them off with a spiritual centrality to the group. It'll give them a little bit of scripture. You know, maybe they're going to be talking about identity in Christ. Maybe they're going to talk about repentance, abiding, uh, intimacy with God, all the different things that there could be. It'll give them, you know, five minutes, maybe a video clip, a little bit of a discussion question. So rather than just being teaching in one way, they're going to engage with each other. So if it was identity in Christ, the discussion question may be like, hey, so John, Adam, where have you guys sought to find or been tempted to find identity apart from Christ this week? In your mothering, in your kids' perfect grades, in your role at work. And so all of a sudden we've got this, because one of our values is authenticity, to live authentically. So now we're talking and we're engaging with each other. Um, so that's going to set the table that'll allow our elders and the campus pastors to drop content right into the living room and to feed the flock that we are accountable for. And what I love you do, what I love about what you guys are doing there is you're looking at this this problem that is, or it's not even a problem; it's just reality. What is is big city, and we know everybody listening is not living in big city, so this this isn't going to relate, you know, one to one to everybody. But I think the principles in here are really helpful. You've got these challenges. It is what it is. We've chosen the small group model that happened in people's homes. It is going to be fragmented. So, meaning you cannot put a staff member in everybody's home on every night of the week to watch the small group. And so, rather than trying to rein that back in, as you were saying, the pull model of just going, let's just get more control, let's get more control, let's get more control, you're just you're going, hey, this this is the challenge. This is what we have to navigate. These are the parameters. Let's be creative within that. And uh, and I, I love how you guys are doing that to go, hey, fragmentation is it just it's a reality. So what can we do to continue to shepherd and help and drop things in people's laps rather than just pulling them in? How can we push them out there? I think it's I think it's great. So all right, so you've talked about vision leaks. 
And just a great reminder, you've talked about how values can become aspirational, not actual. You shared some great stories in there of what you're doing with your group and how you're going to be trying to push that down uh, and making sure that all the groups know what the real values are and they're living those out. You're talking about the, the challenge of fragmentation, a couple ideas that you guys are trying to do there uh, to meet that challenge. So the fourth thing that, that you said that you have been learning is just this reality that I bet every church leader is going to nod their head when they hear this one, and that is we need more shepherds. So... W- Talk, talk about that, unpack that. How have you come to that conclusion? For sure. And I, I would imagine every church uh, in the world ha- has this issue. It's like the, the senior pastor, the associate pastor, whoever it is, like their phone's getting blown up. They're getting called in to do the funeral, but also the pastoral care. And hey, my son's gone rogue and he's off, you know, living prodigal. Um, there's just not, there's so many demands on that and we're not supposed to carry them all. So the Exodus 18 model is that, you know, Moses was to appoint men who were faithful and able to teach others who knew the law, um, that were not greedy and doing it for mixed motives and that they could handle various situations. Depending on that level of faithfulness, he would appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And so we're running that exact same offense. We've got on-staff directors that oversee coaches, that oversee leaders that are then part of groups. And so that Exodus 18 model allows you, no matter what your scope or scale is of your ministry or church, to shepherd the flock that you're accountable for, to oversee those souls and make sure that they're being fed and led. And last last point being the feeding part, now this being the leading part and making sure that that DNA and shepherding is happening. And so here um, in our church context, there's a lot of different ministries. And so lay leadership is getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, they're getting pulled into marriage ministry, recovery ministry, uh, men's discipleship, Bible study. It's like, there's just, just, there's just so many ministries and they're getting pulled in all the different areas. And what we found is that our community groups, the very ones that we're actually accountable for that will be, uh, the heartbeat of this church. Those are the ones that were just like, um, are kind of the cobbler's children without shoes, so to say. And so the elders specifically have been like, you know what, we are going to go to the best uh, I don't know, best is the right word, the most faithful, obedient, repentant, abiding lay leadership that have proven themselves. Like First Timothy 3, let, let a deacon be tested before he's appointed. And so not that we're calling them deacons, they're like campus or community shepherds, but they're going, they're looking prayerfully through those people, spending time with them. And then they're saying, hey, this is our greatest opportunity. And frankly, it's aside from elder, it is the highest esteemed lay leadership position is to oversee as a community shepherd, uh, leaders of community groups. And so they then, they, the elders have a direct line all the way down, just like Moses did to the very common denominator, um, overseeing all of the groups. And so that's, that's a push right now is almost this like in-gathering or regathering of uh, these faithful men and women to oversee those who are accountable for. Like in recovery ministry, marriage ministry, those are great. They're great side doors into the church. But frankly, half the people that are there, we're not accountable for their souls. Um, They're visiting, they're coming to get well, and and they're going to. And and new leaders are going to raise up from that space. And so what we're doing is taking some of those like incredibly equipped veteran leaders and moving them back over to our, our core essential value, which is community. So John, as somebody who's led marriage ministry for years, and I know your role is kind of changing, focusing on, on watermark resources, which, what's your reaction to that? Yeah. Um, it's so just a, a, one thing I wanted to clarify when John said 
um, you know, we're not, we're not accountable for those folks, you know, half the people in there we're not accountable for what you're saying is like, we, we feel a very strong, uh, shepherding responsibility for anybody that considers himself a member yes. who's like covenanted with us. Hey, I'm all in what they're saying. One of the things they're saying is I want to be shepherded here. I want someone to uh, be on the line to kind of give an account for my soul. And so when you, you know, when you raise your hand and become a member here at Watermark, it's not just what you're saying. There's a commitment all the way down that, okay, now you are now on our radar and, uh, you know, uh, we don't, we don't use this language, but you know, God might choke me out because of you, uh, you know, what you're doing. Um, and I'm accountable for that. So that, that's what he's, is what you're saying, John. So someone who walks in and they're just, they're a participant in some of our ministries and maybe they go to another church, maybe they don't go to another church. We don't, we feel a love, we feel a concern, totally. we feel a responsibility, but not to the same level. Yeah, I'm not, and so I just wanted to clarify that, which I think is really, one of the things I love about our church is like, um, membership matters yep. here. And uh, it really is like, no, you're one of my sheep. And that's not just a, a catchy phrase. Like like your life and death, your well being is my responsibility. Absolutely, and um, it's one of the uh, one of the things I love, is, and I think it plays well into kind of how you view relationships. And it's going to be a really good, uh, really good um, partnership, I think, going forward with yeah. you, you and the elders. So, yeah, that's what in Exodus thirty four. It's what it's what God rebukes Israel for. He's like, you, you're shepherds, and you're not going after the lost or the wounded or the hurting. You don't bind up the broken. He's like, so I'm going to shepherd them, and so it's like, you know what? We're not going to let that happen on our watch. Like if, if they're in membership covenant with us, we're going to care for them, which really is, is a beautiful thing. So that's, that's the intentionality behind that. Yeah. And so the learning there is you're just going to, you need more since you have so many sheep and there's such a high level, uh, expectation of the way we shepherd them. You need more shepherds, both not just in the group, but you need shepherds of shepherds right. to build out this Exodus 18. And that, that was kind of, as you're looking at the opportunities that are before you, one of them is we need more of these, you know, a plus 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 shepherds who can shepherd others and teach them. So awesome. All right. So one of the last ones, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but just some of the things that you said, Hey, immediately after a couple of months here, here's some things I think we're learning. The last one is one of my favorites. I think this is a really great observation that job descriptions can trump job title. So what do you, what do you mean by that? And what have you been learning there? Sure. So historically, um, throughout the church, it's like, you know, leader of a small group, whether it's men's Bible study, women's Bible study, recovery ministry, marriage ministry, like leader, 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 leader. And so I think what's happened is in the community space, when you have these peer groups, and so you're, you're co-shepherding with peers, people start to kind of throw that title off. They don't want to be seen as like, ah, oh, you know, it's not like I'm the leader. I'm more of a facilitator. I'm a point of contact. And if people take that mentality, and they see, you know what? I'm not the leader. I'm just a. I'm just like you. You know what? But I'm. I'm kind of the one that relays the messages up to the church if if we need anything. Then they are relegating that responsibility, and we have a breakdown at the most essential level of community. And so we're trusting that you know Moses, so to say, has appointed them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And if there's not a responsibility, accountability, leadership, care over the ten, like if that leader of the ten has thrown that yoke off and saying, ah, we're all together, we're all peers, then we've got uh, a lack of shepherding, a lack of leadership, a lack of responsibility, accountability, care at the most essential level. I mean, that means that you're, those, those 10 sheep are not being led, fed, cared for. And so we're really trying to like... Well, just the craziness of like 10 sheep trying to lead, yeah, you know, totally. 10 yeah. dumb, totally. dumb sheep, you know, yeah, trying to... Yeah, follow each we got, other. We got this thing like, figured out, yeah. And getting picked off. And so... 
that's where we're really trying to like raise the bar and the vision of what it means to be a leader. And that it's, that's an, it's an honor, but it's a responsibility and it's not facilitator. It's not point of contact. It's not peer co shepherding that there is a very real intentionality. And just because you have been, doesn't mean you always will be, uh, that we're going to, we're going to appoint, we're going to vet the most, uh, faithful, obedient, yielded, abiding person in that group. We're not going to, you know, yank it around every month and we're going to shepherd that person, but we do want to make sure there's intentional leadership there within every single group. That's awesome. And it's, I, again, I think this is such a helpful list because it doesn't just apply to community. I think I think the exercise of what you've done is such a great example to church leaders, not only here on staff, but anybody listening to this just around the world is just going, hey, if you've got something, even if it's working well, and I like that distinction you made in the beginning of the podcast, that maybe some of the ministries that are the need this, uh, hey, let's go look at it and you know, pop the, the hood and let's look under the hood. The most are the ones that don't have weekly events because those, you know, they can just they can just kind of uh, fade into the background, and so I think you're modeling something amazing. And and these things that you're learning, I mean, can be applied all over. Just about vision and values, and what are the what are the environmental challenges that you have for us in a big city? It's fragmentation and just that that need for more shepherds and recruiting. And I love, like, like I said, that last one about the job descriptions and making sure that you're not lowering the bar. Because I think we'll do that sometimes in recruiting. Of like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Like you're just yeah. kind of a point of contact. You get this title. And what we think that person is really going to be doing something uh, a lot more. But we we lowered that bar when we recruited them because we wanted them to say yes. Yeah. So, uh, so John, what, what are some final thoughts? You well, have it is, I think, so both of those last two, Johnny, what you're trying to do is kind of... Um, raise the esteem of the role and those who are giving account and which uh, sometimes can be counterintuitive because you say, well, if I raise the bar, then nobody will come and nobody will want to lead. No one will want to be a shepherd of leaders. And uh, that the whole teach for America thing, you know, they become really, really selective and really hard to get into and they line up at the door, you know, uh, for it. And so uh, there's something about you, you want to create, especially leadership environments where people feel honored to be called that, you know, the leader of a small group or the shepherd of uh, not, it was interesting every time you said just a, just a, you don't want, you don't ever want people saying I'm just a, <laughs> that's a bad, bad. No. if you ever hear that phrase, you, that alarm bell should go off and you want to chase that down. So let me, let me ask you this, John, as we close, if, um, so actually I had one more thought. Um, I think what'll be great at CLC next year is for people to hear just kind of your leadership journey um, this next year, you'll be able to say, we, we identified the problem uh, about this time last year and this is what I've been up to. You know, I'm glad to share that with you. I, I think it'll be fun at CLC for you to share those and you can, you know, have lots of hallway conversations um, as well. But if kind of all your wildest uh, dreams come true in this area, all, God answers all your prayers, like what do small groups, what does community look like uh, here at Watermark 12 months from mm -hmm. now? Yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this book on revival and he bases it thus far, I'm like, I don't know, maybe a third of the way in on one particular passage in Genesis. And he talks about how Isaac, when he's in the promised land, unstops the wells that had been covered up by the Philistines that his father Abraham had dug. And he builds on that of just what it is to remove those stones, those things that are blocking the water from flowing freely. And so I, I like what I envision is like revival and thriving of community groups that here at the church, that it would be like this, like incredible outpouring of the spirit and through pouring of the spirit. I mean, it, it says in his words, like rivers of living water will flow up out of you. And I think we have, 
We have stopped the wells, so to say, by busyness and life, the worries of this world, money, uh, lack of confession of sin, lack of some of the spiritual disciplines. And so I, I fully believe that those wells that have been stopped up by some of those rocks now of the world, not the Philistines, as we're removing those by practicing some of these things like... I believe what Jesus said, that rivers of living water will flow up by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, like kingdom of God breaks forth. Individuals change, marriages change, parenting changes, generational sin is broken. I mean, it's like movement of God's stuff. And so I'm like longing to see this movement, um, not just at Watermark and never for Watermark's sake, but like the, the Dallas and this metroplex that we live in would be this infectious, crazy kingdom movement and not for our glory, which would be evil, uh, but for God because of his love and faithfulness. And so that is, that is my heart. That's my desire. And I fully believe he will bring it to pass. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And I, uh, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing. Like as I, uh, received this mantle, um, just like sat and prayed and poured over scripture. And, and so none of this is like, oh, I've got these great ideas and whatever, like that, that would be vanity and foolishness. And I, and I think God would take his hand off of it. But instead, as I like seek in prayer and the word and align with our leadership and the elders, um, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I dream about it and I, and I feel like I can see it. I've experienced it in my own life and I just long for every single person to, to, to feel and know and live the promises of God as they are appropriated individually. And then it just spreads like wildfire um, for a kingdom unending. Good night. Um, and, and now we know we've got the right man yeah. on the job. And I, yeah, Adam, you can wind us down here, but I just like, <laughs> that's what you want your community guy saying, or your, uh, Hey, why do, why do, uh, why does student ministry matter? Right. You don't want, uh, you don't want your student ministry guy going, well, it's my job to keep the kids from ripping up the place, you know, while the pastor preaches, like you want a leader staff or non-staff who, uh, bleeds this, who, uh, feels the opportunity here and uh, can't wait to see what God does. So well done, Johnny, we're rooting for you this year. It's going to be fun to see. Yes. That's what God does. All right. Well, if you have any questions or comments on today's episode, or if you have any ideas for future episodes that you want us to talk about, please feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.